Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In his homily number 14 on Paul's letter to the Ephesians, there are a number of features of language and its connection with mindset and behavior, and specifically with the emotion of anger that he views as problematic that John Chrysostom is going to focus on. And there's two verses in particular, which come one right after the other, that he is going to discuss. One is, let no corrupt speech proceed out of your mouth, which then is followed immediately by, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. And so what's actually going on there? So corrupt speech, this includes a lot of different ways of talking, a number of linguistic modes, we could say, right? That can be identified as bad. And they're bad in part because they're connected with anger. It's not exclusively because he also talks about adultery. You know, there's types of speech that foster that, you could say. But here we're mostly interested in the connection with anger. So what are the connections? Well, he lists off a number of different ways of talking that tend to produce or lead to or intensify or are expressions of anger. So he talks about idle, backbiting, filthy communication, jesting, foolish talking. And he also talks about lying, theft, unseasonable conversation. A little bit further down, he's going to say that the mouth, this is the cause of all evil or rather not the mouth but that they make an evil use of it. What are some of the evil uses that we haven't already listed off? Insults, revilings, blasphemies, incentives to lust, murders, adulteries, thefts, all have their origin from this. And so, you know, if we think about this for just a moment, it's, it's tempting to like run through this list and be like, yeah, great list. But what are these? So idle talk, talking just for the sake of talking, chattering, you could say, that can lead to people getting annoyed. Why are you talking about this BS, right? Why are you wasting our time? Backbiting. Okay, now we've got something that can definitely definitely be an expression of or lead to anger, filthy talking, filthy communication, talking about dirty things, right? Which could be scatological, could be sexual, could be all sorts of matters. Adjusting. Now, because adjusting means joking around. Why is that bad? Well, sometimes people take jokes too far or they're overly sensitive. Foolish talking is also a problem. Insults, obviously, when you're insulting somebody, unless it, there's some sort of context where the insult is taken as being a joke and everybody's in on the joke. Generally, if you insult somebody, you're going to make them angry. And as we see so often, particularly with the precept against calling your brother a fool, when we get angry, we insult people, reviling, saying terrible things about people, complaining about them, blasphemies, people blaspheme. That is, they talk about religious matters in improper ways ways very often when they're angry and that will make other people angry as well and then all these incentives that he talked about before and there's one incentive or train of let's call it consequences that he brings up 
as an example. He says, from an insult, you're going to go on to anger. Well, that makes sense, right? You get insulted, you get angry. And then what happens after that? From anger to blows, you know, you hit somebody, smack somebody, and then from blows on to murder. Now, obviously not everybody goes the entire extent, but this often does happen. So that's corrupt speech. Those are ways in which we're not supposed to be using this faculty of communication that we've been endowed with as human beings. So how should we talk to people? What would be the opposite of corrupt speech? He talks about edifying speech or edifying use of our faculty of speech. Now, what is edifying? It means building somebody up. So instead of tearing them down, we're trying to help them out. We're trying to improve their condition. And he says that, you know, one way you can tell that something is edifying is that the hearer is actually grateful. You know, he says, by edifying, either he means this, that he who hears you may be grateful to you. And he uses an example here. A brother has committed fornication. How are you going to talk to them about this? Because you shouldn't just remain completely silent and be like, hey, man, Whatever you do is cool by me. But if somebody's screwing up, you should talk to them about that. So that's one way of thinking about it. And then another, we could say, criterion or measure is that the hearers are, as he says, filled with grace. And here you might be like, well, wait a second. From a Christian theological perspective, human beings don't fill each other with grace. That's what God does, right? It's this supernatural activity. Well, yes, but human beings within, we could call it the mainstream of Christian theological discussion and interpretation, really from early on all the way up to, you know, and, and through the Protestant Reformation, human beings function within the economy of grace to help other people receive grace. This is talked about by so many commentators that I probably don't need to stress it. So we've got two criteria that are being given for edifying speech. And then we've got sort of a description about how this works. So let's come back to the brother who has committed fornication. How should you talk to them? So Chrysostom says, don't make a display of the offense nor revel in it. You're not going to be doing good to the person that hears you. Rather, it's likely you're going to hurt him by giving them a stimulus. So you shouldn't be doing one of two things. First of all, don't revel in it. Don't be like engaging what we call locker room talk. Ooh, you uh, committed fornication, meaning you, you had sex outside of marriage. Was it good? Did you have a fun time? What kind of stuff did you do? What positions? How long did it go? You don't have to do that. That is the opposite of helpful. You're just like, getting the person back into their memories of that. But you also don't need to like, you know, rub their nose in the dirt, so to speak, and be like, oh, you dirty, dirty pig, you awful person, you've committed fornication, God is going to hate you. That's not helpful either, right? How should you actually be talking about this matter? So he says, advise this person what to do, and you're conferring on him a great obligation. And then he, he talks about a few other things that are connected with this. Discipline him how to keep silence 
teach him to revile no person and you've taught him his best lesson. You'll have conferred on him the highest obligation. Discourse with him on what? On contrition, feeling sorry for what they did, on piety, on almsgiving. All these things will soften his soul. For all these things, he will own his obligation. Whereas by exciting his laughter or filthy communication, you're instead going to be inflaming him, right? Don't applaud the wickedness. You're going to overturn and ruin him. And so, you know, this is some useful advice, I think. How should we deal with people who are erring? How should we talk to ourselves also when we're screwing up? We might think about that. Coming to the discussion of grieve not the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? Well, it's interesting because he begins by saying that the person who rejects, rejects not man, but God. This is in Thessalonians. And he says, so also here, if you utter a reproachful word, if you strike your brother, you're not striking him, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. Obviously, you are, of course, striking them and saying bad things to them, but you're ticking off, you're grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Um, why? Because God wants us not to do that sort of thing to each other. God wants us to love each other and to be connected, right? And so he says, we need to think about how we use our faculty of speech. And here he brings up this conception of a spiritual mouth. It's kind of funny, by the way, because John Chrysostom, right? Golden mouth is bringing up a mouth. And when we think of a spiritual mouth, it's not like we have a, a second mouth or something like that. It's the spiritual use of what we have been endowed with, you could say physically and mentally and all of that. So he says, a spiritual mouth never utters a thing of the kind. Say not, it is nothing if I do utter an unseemly word, if I do insult such a one. For this very reason, it's a great evil because because it seems to be nothing. Things which seem to be nothing are easily thought of lightly, and those which are thought of lightly go on increasing, and those which go on increasing eventually become incurable. They become bad habits, what we call vices. All of these sorts of you know corrupt speech, if we engage in them over and over again, and we're like, ah, oh, not a big deal, then sooner or later they become part of our character, right? So we shouldn't be using our spiritual mouth for, as he says, cruelty, right? We should be using it for good things. He says, disgrace it not then after receiving it from pure loving kindness, that or philanthropy, love of human beings, that is from God, by showing cruelty towards your brethren. Do you call God father and yet attack, revile your fellow human being? Well, these are not the works of the son of God. These are very far from him. And he, he says we can think of Christ's example. What did Christ do? I mean, Christ did go around and criticize people, right? He criticized the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And he tells people, hey, man, you're screwing up. You know, Peter, you screwed up. Get behind me, Satan, right? He meets a, a woman who's had a whole bunch of husbands and or is actually sleeping with a whole bunch of men. And he's like, none of them are your husband. Stop doing that, right? But he's doing it in a way that is not attacking the people at the core of who they are. There's always the possibility of doing better. And he says the work of the Son of God was to forgive his enemies, to pray for those who crucified him, to shed his blood for those who hated him. These are the works worthy of the Son of God. What is he doing? To make enemies, the ungrateful, the dishonest, the reckless, the treacherous, to make these people 
brothers, brethren, and heirs to connect them back up with God. So that is one powerful example of how we could be using our mouth correctly. He's also got this very interesting metaphor of a spiritual vessel, a royal vessel, as the translation goes here. Suppose there were a royal vessel and that always full of royal dainties. Now, what are royal dainties? It could be like, you know, candies or it could be whatever it is that you really like. So you've got a vessel, namely a holding thing, and then it's full of nice stuff. So imagine you walk into somebody's office and they're into, you know, jelly beans, right? And they've got this crystal bowl and it's full of the best jelly beans or gummy bears or whatever it is that you're into, right? And you like reach in there and you take one. Mmm, yeah, that's tasty. Now imagine that it's full of crap, literally full of dung or poop. So you're taking this wonderful vessel and you're filling it up with turds. You know, is that any good? And he says, would you ever venture again after it had been filled up with dung to store it away with the other vessels set apart for other uses? Surely not. And then he says, now railing is like this. Reviling is like this. You're using your mouth, this precious vessel, for doing all sorts of corrupt, unclean, bad, aggressive things, perhaps motivated by anger, perhaps motivated by other things. And so that's a bad idea, right? And he gives some examples of this coming from parables. What if a servant, even with us, beats his fellow servant or assaults him, even though we do it justly, yet we once rebuke him and he and deem the act an outrage, right? If you think about that, then aren't you ashamed when you're thinking about like, you know, praying to God about all the other crap that's in and coming out of your mouth? And so one of the other things that he talks about here is disciplining our mouth to silence, Now, does that mean we have to be quiet all of the time? No, we should be prudent in what we're saying. He says, there's a great advantage from this and there's also a great mischief from ill language. Let us devour ourselves alive. If ever a vexatious word slip out of our mouth, let us entreat God. Let us entreat him whom we have reviled. Let us not think it beneath ourselves to do so. So obviously we are going to keep communicating, but we're going to shut up when it comes to doing the thing with our mouths that we shouldn't be doing, very often motivated by anger or leading to anger. And we're going to use our mouths, our spiritual mouth for its right purpose, which is to edify, to rebuild, to restore, to lead back to the right track, to reconcile and to fortify good relationships. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.